0: Please be seated. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Holy Father, as we remember those who have gone before us today, we thank you for the cloud of witnesses, the saints who are here with us now. We ask that you help us, guide us, give us strength to go out and share your good news to the world in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the candles that were lit here this morning was lit in memory of my father-in-law. He died on January the 26th, 2013. That was a very difficult year for my family. For one, we were dealing with his loss. Um, And even though I had been trained about grief, this was the first time that it was really in my home. But then later that year, in October or November, my wife's aunt got pneumonia. Her name was Virginia Culbertson. And in true Culbertson fashion, she did not go to the doctor when she started feeling bad. She waited and waited until finally a friend came over and said, you are going to the hospital. And so they immediately admitted her. And within a couple of days, they actually had to put her on a ventilator because the pneumonia was so bad and that she needed time for her lungs to strengthen back up. When they tried to wean her off of the ventilator, however, it was very difficult for her because she would panic and her oxygen levels would drop. So eventually they had to put in a a trach in order for them to, to get her off sedation enough so that she could come through. But she had been sedated for so long that it had gotten into her system, and for weeks and months, she was very disoriented. But little by little, toda which is what we called her, was coming back to us. Now, in the midst of all this, right at the beginning, she lived in Fountain Inn up near Greenville, and being the only family member that could could make their way up there during the workday, I was volunteered to go, and so because. Stacy and her brother had both taken a lot of time off with their father's death. And their mother um, was was in Aiken, and she didn't drive that far very much. And then Stacy's grandmother, who was still living, was in Newberry. And she was really struggling with the loss of her son and was not physically able to go either. So it was me. So I went to the ICU to see Tudda, And at once, when they asked me who I was, and I told them that I was the nephew-in-law... They were very excited that family had come, and so they deemed me the health care power of attorney. Okay, well, the family was okay with that because I have been around the, the medical field block enough that I sort of know my way around. And so they would call me periodically with updates or with questions about my aunt-in-law's health. Little by little, more and more, she, she improved until eventually they sent her to a long-term care facility in Greenville. Well, one day I was on my way to Luther Ridge, which is the Lutheran camp just outside of Asheville, and I decided to go through Greenville to go and visit with her on my way there. When I got to the place, though, she was gone. They had taken her to the hospital because they found a little spot of pneumonia on her lung, and they wanted to knock it out so there, there wasn't a repeat of what we had just endured So They brought her back later that evening. But I went on the rest of the 45-minute trip to Lutheridge. Now, while I was there at this conference, we were staying in this house. And and some of the rooms were in the basement with no windows. And I was in one of those rooms. So at 3.15 that morning, my phone rang. She had gone into respiratory arrest. And they were calling to let me know. It was pitch black in my room and so for a little bit I was trying to figure out whether or not I was just dreaming but then they called back and said that she was being rushed to the hospital and that I needed to come as soon as I could so I got up got dressed and packed my stuff and went to Greenwood on my way there the hospital called and asked how much longer it would be and I asked them if she was still living and they told me we'll talk to you when you get here I've been around the block a few times. I knew what that meant and I told them I knew what that meant. And when I came in, I prayed with the body as I've done countless times before. I spoke with the nurses about what had happened as I've done countless times before. And then I went out to my car. It was about 5.30 in the morning and I sat there and I just broke down. Cried like I hadn't cried in a very long time. And yes, some of it was because of the loss, but it was also because I felt so very alone. At that moment, I was the only one who knew she had died, and I knew that it would be my responsibility to call my wife and my brother-in-law to let them know that a year and two days after their father had died, that they had also lost their hand. I knew that I was going to have to tell my mother-in-law that her sister-in-law was gone. And I also knew that I was going to have to go to my wife's grandmother and let her know that she had lost her last child, just 367 days after she lost the first. So I went to my office, which was then in Newberry, and waited, because that's where Stacy's grandmother lived, waited for it to get late enough to go over to her knowing that our world had been turned upside down. Each of these candles represents a time in your lives when your world has been turned upside down. That's what loss does a lot of times. Because even though we know that this day is coming for every single person who walks the earth, it's still not something that we're ready for, whether it's expected or not. And everything in a moment changes. But that's not the only thing that turns our world upside down, is it? There's job loss. There's a a bad diagnosis. There's there's an injury or a car accident or being a victim of a crime. There's all kinds of things that you're going through life. Everything's great. And then everything changes. Our world is completely rocked. And everything is turned upside down. Where left is right and right is left and down is up and up is down. And we don't know how to deal with it. As we hear our gospel reading this morning, it's sort of all turned upside down, isn't it? Listen again to what Jesus says. He's speaking to his disciples and he says, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, revile you, and defame you on the account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for surely your reward will be great in heaven. For that is what their ancestors did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are laughing now, for you will weep and mourn. Woe to you when people speak well of you, for that is what their ancestors did to the false prophets. Now, I don't know about you, but there have been times in my life when I felt very poor. Yeah? I mean, I think sometimes money just doesn't go as far as it should. And during those times... Blessed would not be the word that I would use to describe my feelings just then. Or in the times of horrible grief, I'm not thinking, man, I sure am blessed. When life stinks, being blessed is not exactly what's on the tip of our mind. And I don't know about you, but when I see a rich person, I'm going, mm, that's a shame. I feel so sorry for that person. And those happy people right there, mm, mm. Man, they got it tough. But that's exactly what Jesus is saying here, isn't it? Blessed are those people whose life is in the toilet, and woe to those people who are on top of a mountain. Talk about turning things upside down. Because that's not what we would expect to hear, is it? That's not what we, how we expect life to be. When things are great, they're great. When things are bad, they're bad. Once a blessing... And being poor, being sad, being talked about behind your back, that ain't it, is it? That early morning on January the 28th, 2014, as I sat in my office in Newberry, dreading having to go and tell my wife's grandmother that her second child had died, at about 8.15 the phone rang. Now, folks, you may not know me, but I'm not a morning person. And at the time, I was living in Lexington, serving a church in Newberry. And so I assure you, unless it was Sunday morning, I was not there at 8.15 in the morning. And so it was weird that the phone was ringing me. Because my church members knew that I wasn't going to be there that early. But I answered it, and it was the bishop. The head of the South Carolina Synod, who is considered to be my pastor. And the reason he was calling was because he had asked me a question about helping him out with something a couple of weeks earlier. And I had already called him back and responded on his voicemail. But he was just calling to clarify. But that's not why he called. And that morning, when I felt utterly alone and abandoned. It's when the phone rang at a time that I needed to hear that phone ring the most. He even said to me, you know. This really wasn't about all that. God put this in place so I would make this phone call today. You see, my friends, the reason that we can consider ourselves blessed when we are at our worst is because oftentimes that's when we experience the very presence of God. You see, God has a way of, of taking pain and taking struggle and taking strife And making it something wonderful. That's what the cross is all about. Jesus Christ died. Horrifically. But was raised from the dead. To give us life and life eternal. As we remember. Hazel and Billy. We remember. What they meant to us. And we remember the tears. But today we also celebrate. Because through their death. They have eternal life. And today as as Eleanor comes for holy baptism and she is washed in the waters, that symbolizes a drowning and a rebirth. Through that drowning, we have new life. You see, God takes the worst and makes things wonderful. He takes that which is horrible and makes us blessed. He takes that which is, which is we would consider at the bottom of the barrel to be the top of the world. Because there we experience the very presence of the Almighty. But Jesus wasn't finished there. He went on to say, But I say to you that, listen, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And if anyone takes away your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. Give to everyone who begs from you. And if anyone takes away your goods, do not ask for them again. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Now, I've got to be honest. As as I was reading through this passage this week, I I was kind of confused at what the heck that had to do with what we just read. But then I got to thinking, who is it that steals from us? Who is it that strikes us on the cheek? Who takes our cloak? People who are struggling. People who are in pain. People who are in very dark places. And so I think what this passage is telling us is not only a reminder that God comes to us in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our despair, but also that we are called to represent and represent God when people are in the midst of theirs. When people would expect us to hate them in return, when people would expect us to hit them back, when people would expect us to do the same horrible things that they're doing to us, when we respond with love, we, to them, are the very presence of God in the midst of their pain and struggles. My friends, throughout our lives, you and I will be on top of the world and we will be in the deepest valley. That's just life. And so it is with everyone around us. But we can give thanks because God is present in our highs and our lows. And God calls us to be present in his place in the lives of others. Go and be that presence. Amen.